Hello everybody and welcome once again to Around the World in 80 Drinks with us, the Thinking Drinkers. Thank you very much for choosing our podcast. If you're new to us, this is a podcast that celebrates discerning drinking. So every week we're taking listeners around the planet to exceptional drinking destinations, regaling them with tales from our travels there. And each week we're encouraging you, the listeners, to get online, buy what we're talking about so we can talk you through an actual tasting in the podcast with something new or interesting or discerning each week. Uh, thusly proving, improving your liquid lives, we like to think. Um, and while you do, you follow our mantra, drink less, drink better. So stay tuned to the end of this podcast and you'll be able to hear what we've got on next week's show and you can buy it in advance. So I'm one of the thinking drinkers, Tom Sandham. I'm joined as ever by fellow thinking drinker, Ben McFarland. How are you, Ben? I'm very well, Tom. Thank you very much for asking. How are you? I'm okay. I'm 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 dealing with uh, with lockdown life pretty well. Have you had any interesting experiences this week while locked down? Well, um, an update on my hair. I'm sure everyone's keen to find out about that. I've gone from Brian May to uh, like a Marie Antoinette type character, dangerous liaisons, you know, with the big wigs and the. Uh, I'm talking to you from behind a fan. It's gone massive and curly. It's really, it's gone a bit scouse perm as well. Lovely. Um, I'm going. I'm going with it. I'm, okay. If, well, if there's yeah. one opportunity to see what your hair is going to look like after three yeah. months of neglect, now, this is the time. I'm not seeing anyone. I'm on my no. wife, obviously, but she she doesn't look at me anymore. So it's <laughs> fine. Uh, okay. Well, I'm, I, I haven't got the, the virus, but I've got a thin fat man syndrome. I seem to be a thin man with, with a, a belly developing. But other than that, I'm pretty positive. I want to say that I'm coming at this podcast now with some positive vibes uh, for the listeners because we've had some brilliant reviews in the review section of the podcast really? That's across good. social media. The last week, there's some really good responses to to it and people were out there were actually buying the stuff and tasting it with us uh, there was a, a chap called simon chase down in, in london he was ordering the beers in before the show uh, jane back uh, in devon thank you jane she got on the plymouth gin so the podcast is working people are actually that is brilliant isn't it and um uh, so i've spent all all week just eagerly waiting to talk to you and and recording the next one, my darling. I'm a I'm an eager beaver to get it going. And uh, we've had a, some listener feedback from a, a chap called Mark Ludman, and we should mention Mark because um, he's a theatre critic. He's he's also judge of the Olivia Awards, no less. And and we love Mark for many reasons, but five of them are the five stars he gave out. Five our stars. Show. He gave our show five stars, listeners, which means it must be good. So check out his work when he's when the theatres are open. He's he's a good theatre critic. He knows a bit about drink, but um, I didn't pick up on it. You mentioned this. Apparently, he said he was worried about how I sounded mentally, my mental health, based on my pod demeanour. He said I sounded a bit down. So I'm going to be much brighter from now. I'm going to bring a lot more energy to the podcast. Super positive, Mark. I'm really happy. I'm going to show you that I really love life. Uh, and I'm, I'm all over this, man. I'm really, really cool dudes. Yeah, wicked. Uh, Calbunga. Um, and uh, and he knows I'm a good actor because he gave our show five stars. So who will be able to convince him that I am happy if I let the facade drop a bit? Yeah, I've uh, got to say, I'm from just initially, my initial reaction is I preferred you when you were miserable and on the, and on the verge of a nervous breakdown. Because well, don't worry, this, this don't worry. Thing is it will come back. <laughs> it will come back. We're in the middle of a fucking global pandemic. Now. <laughs> you know, we're locked in our houses. So, you know, I might get a bit boo-hoo occasionally. Just bear with me. Um, but he gave us five stars. So I should also mention Andy, our, our agent, who said to us, uh, he listened to the show, Ben, um, which I think we can agree. Did he? 
Well, he said he listened in the first three minutes. We know he listened. Right, to he listened to fifteen percent of it. All he needs to <laughs> contractually. <laughs> that's probably about right. The first three minutes, and um, and he said that we were too down on our show, um, which is uh, <clears throat> interesting. I, I think he was talking about the standing ovation bit. We were talking about how we get standing ovations. He did. We do, uh, but we were kind. We didn't want to be arseholes about it, so we sort of said, oh, "Maybe it's just people trying to get their coats." Yeah. Um, but you know, we, we we do, and we get sell out shows, and we get five star reviews from people like Mark. So uh, the show is great, and we're going to have a new show next year. It's going to be called Pub Quiz. There's going to be five free drinks. There's going to be comedy, japes, uh, wicked costumes. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be brilliant as long as we're allowed in the theaters. Yeah, that will be. Um, that's our well, big stumbling block. Well, as long as other people are allowed in, if we're allowed in, uh, we'll still do our show in front of no one. Yeah. Uh, but it'll be, it'll be, it's going to be great. So there we go. We, please come and see our shows. Tens of thousands of people have, and they've all enjoyed it. So there we go, Andy. Yes. On top of that, tick that box. So you don't have to worry your little head about that anymore. You can <laughs> go off now, Andy, and get us on television already. Yeah, that's television deal, Andy. So he also said we should get a move on and not spend too much time talking about at the beginning of the show. So I think we should go straight into our first drink. And it's and it's you uh, that's going to start us off with the drinking, Ben. So what's our first drink and where are you taking us? We are taking, oh no, I'm taking you all oh, together um, to Northern California, which is more exotic than Devon. We loved Devon last week. Um, oh, but just a quick one. After last week's, uh, quickly about the last week's podcast, you're we talking about different gins reflecting their surroundings. Immediately mm. after recording it, I took my three, three year old and five year old for 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 our daily one hour exercise. Uh, we swung by my sister in law's house. I told her about the podcast. She told me about this Ealing gin because we live in Ealing. Mm, I didn't mm-hmm. know about it. She showed me the bottle and it says on, on the bottle. It looks it's a lovely looking bottle. It's all Art Deco, that kind of thing. And it says, uh, the gin's botanicals are inspired by the traditional English gardens and parks of leafy Ealing. Now, I don't know what botanicals <laughs> all around Ealing, uh, but uh, it just so happened that at the end of her road, there is a park, Pitsanger Park. So we went um, we went there, and I was keeping my eyes out for any botanicals. Uh, in that hour, th- these things happened. Rory stepped in dog poo. He's the three-year-old. Red, right. my five-year-old, picked up some laughing gas canisters and uh, we couldn't get across a bridge because it was blocked by a burned-out moped. So <laughs> I imagine Ealing Gin tastes of nitrous oxide, melted rubber and dog shit. Yeah, uh, there we go. I was going to say that one. I, I was born in Ely, so I have my shorts back there. I haven't remembered seeing any fascinating botanicals I'd want to put in a drink. So you've uh, you've confirmed. Yeah, there, so but but it's really not... captured the uh, the surroundings. <laughs> oh, well, I know, I'm sure it's very nice. And if there's any lawyers from Ealing Gin uh, listening, that was just a little funny I've done. Anyway, we are going, let's go from Ealing back to Northern California, and we are tasting Lagunitas Daytime Session IPA. I'm going to open mine now. Yeah, I'm opening it now as well. well before, we we've gonna... told everyone what we've done before. We've told everyone about it and then said, now drink it. Whereas I yeah, think well, beer, gonna, because of beer, you can drink it throughout the podcast, can't yeah, you? Yeah, exactly. So lovely now, so this, is, this is a lovely lockdown beer. It's 4%, so um, it's you can have quite a few of them. Uh, responsibly it's but the best thing is i know you were saying you turned into a thin fat man mm. uh this is 98 calories a can flip it out which is nothing revelations no uh, um, it's good for you as well i suppose although you're yeah you're well yeah no i'm really piling on uh oh. i don't mind telling you 
but not because of this beer. I've, it's because I've not been drinking enough of this. Are you a fat, fat man? <laughs> I'm a fat, fat man. I'm traditional. I've can't do, I did, I've done two runs and some yoga in the last right. 48 hours. Um, anyway, uh, as the name suggests, it's ideal for drinking during the day, which is responsibly, of course, which is what I imagine more people are doing during these times. Um, but a lot of these uh, sort of low-calorie, light-coloured beers are completely devoid of character. Um, but this is not the case with Lagunitas. This is wonderful. It's not... Um, it's not an IPA that most people would associate with uh, with the style. It's not super, super hoppy. Obviously, at 4%, it's not got the, the alcohol to withstand a big journey from Britain to India. It's it's uh, it's a session IPA, uh, but it does have a lot of lovely hop, hoppy aromatics. They use Centennial hop, Citra hop, both very, very aromatic citrusy hops. And then it's beefed out with a bit of oats in the brewing process as well as the barley, which gives it a little bit of body. Uh, yeah, body you can well. really get that. It's lovely yeah. in mm. the mouth. Ooh, mm. Nice in the mouth. Um, so what's uh, we've been to this this brewery. Yeah, but, 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 but you mustn't be – sorry, a little bit more about the beer. Don't be hoodwinked by its pale appearance because um, it's got a bit of character as well. So it's a super superb summer beer. And if you're doing a Joe Wicks workout – it's a great time to get fit, the lockdown, but it's also, I find, a great time to eat crisps and Bombay mix. <laughs> uh, but also, Tom, to, to bring us on to Northern California, it's a, also a great time ref- for reflection. I don't know what you're doing at the moment. Are you reflecting about your life at the moment? Is it a bit of a pause? A bit of a- Yeah, I wish I had time to do that. I'll be honest, I talk to, to a lot of people seem to be talking about that on social media trying new things um and, and frankly they're dickheads because i've got to try and homeschool my kids and and uh, and and get this business going so you know i'm pretty busy not really reflecting on things just full of anxiety what i need though every day is a nice quiet moment for a nice beer like this and yeah. some peanuts so that is what that well is you what are trying one new thing being cheerful uh, true that is a big change it's a massive there. change as, and it's as hard your, work as your business hard partner it's hard work it really is no but i do think there's there's a lot of there's a lot of advice out there saying people should be using this as a time to question what they're doing with their lives and whether they're going in the right direction it brings me to what a lot of people say to us um not just during lockdown but beyond that how they want to start a brewery um mm. Uh, and uh, if they do want to start a brewery, it seems to be something that people think is very easy to do and would be a whole lot of fun, and I imagine it is. But before you do it, you should read a book, a rather aptly titled book, called So You Want to Start a Brewery by Tony McGee, who is the founder and owner of Lagunitas Brewing Company, which is what who brewed this beer. Mm. Um, now, his, there are a lot of business brewery business books out there you can read before starting a brewery. A lot of them are really boring. A lot of them are very badly written. Uh, but this one is funny. It's well written. It really captures the chaos and the challenges that he had to overcome, but also captures what a laugh it was was as well. Um, back in 2006, we first visited uh, the Lagunitas Brewery whilst researching a book called Good Beer Guide West Coast USA. Do you remember that, Tom? Great oh, days. Yeah, of course I do. It was yeah, the best time visited, of our lives. Best time of our lives. But visited every brewery, microbrewery, brew pub and beer bar 
and one strip club, if I, if I remember, only because it had over 100 draft beers. Mm. Um, so we started in San Diego and Southern, Southern California, all the way up to Seattle in the top left-hand corner of the Pacific Northwest. And we visited Lagunitas back then. And back then, he was about they were about 10 years old, um, and Tony McGee was instrumental in the West Coast beer scene. And the West Coast is the cornerstone, historically, of the craft brewing scene globally. Um, and he was instrumental in lighting a fire under the rocking chair, born and bland American beer. Um, and he can write really well. He tells the story of how he started the business. He was basically a stoner. He toured with a reggae band after leaving uni all over the Midwest and quit the band after a 30-day acid trip. He did loads of different jobs from selling luggage on street corners, wrote music for adverts, was a security guard in a bowling alley. Uh, he, he started every day with a bottle of Mad Dog 2020. So he was... Oh, wow. <laughs> he was not orange juice, is it? <laughs> <laughs> it's not one of your five a day. And he, was, he, was, um, he was in a bad place. Um, and he described that period of his life, even though it sounds, you know, he was young, but he described it as a good, long and therapeutic fall down the stairs, which I think is a great way of summing up one's misspent youth. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm, I'm just shrinking the, 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 his story into a, as small a period as possible. 1991, verge of bankruptcy, marriage on the rocks, didn't know what to do. Um, and he writes in this book about this time, and this is something to bear in mind during these weird lockdown times. He wrote this, there is a principle in chaos theory that says if a chaotic system is infused with sufficient energy, increasingly higher orders of complexity can arise. Ah, oh, that's like yeah. me putting more energy into this pot. Exactly. Which was exactly. Cheerfulness is the way yeah. forward. Just yeah. keep going. Um, and he basically, he managed to keep his, his marriage together, uh, even though he, was, he, he, had nothing, he had no real direction. His brother was working for a brew chain in Oregon to the north, and he said suggested home brewing. So just like a lot of all, like a lot of the brewers on the West Coast, they started home brewing and then turned it into a business. And that's essentially what he did. But he describes his early home brewing years, and here's another COVID nineteen reference as the Florence Nightingale effect. Uh, do you know what that is, Tom? Is that where? Um, yes, I do. It's where it's where you you get a bit of a thing for your nurse, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Is that- yeah. Soldiers historically, because Hemingway uh, famously did it. In fact, yeah, he yeah. routinely. Apparently, it's a thing where you routinely fall in love with the nurses during recovery. So it's mm. obviously you've been through a traumatic period. You want someone to. You just want to be held by a nice nurse. Yeah, um, makes sense. Yes, uh, which brings, which reminds me, Tom, of that time we got maced. Do you remember <laughs> in West London? It doesn't remind me of that. I don't want to be reminded of that. Just, it's a bit of a digression, but I'll go with it. Um, in two thousand, just actually, just come back from America. Tom and I were playing tennis in Chiswick. Um, <laughs> sounds really cool. Rude kids. boys, rude boys. Yeah, real. Yeah, and we went went to the pub, had a few pints, and. Uh, and on the way home, Tom stopped for a wee in a, bu- a bush. Um, I kicked him into the bush while he was having a wee, which was very funny. Less funny was was what happened next. I turned around and was faced with 12, uh, maybe four troublesome youths. Um, <laughs> children. <laughs> children, probably in teenagers. And I stood there in my whites and my tennis racket, and uh, they pepper sprayed me, pepper sprayed Tom, 
Well, they first they knocked us unconscious first. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, they yeah, gave yeah. us a proper hiding, even though they were uh, 15. Oh, yeah. <laughs> fully grown men. Yeah. Uh, and I, so I, I remember them hitting you. They hit you in the side of the head. I remember seeing you, your head just flying sideways and bouncing off a car and thinking, this isn't good. <laughs> 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 but they do pepper spray and and listeners pepper spray interestingly when the police use it on on, on criminals they tell them what's happened because if you don't know it is terrifying it really feels mm. like your eyes have been taken out so that was what we came to consciousness with wasn't it i remember and you yeah. phoned your mum which was well 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 i didn't phone my mum yes you I did rang, we were screaming and she you left her a voicemail <laughs> without in the background going what's going on yeah hey um well, no, what happened was I couldn't open my eyes and I could find my phone, so I just rang it, and the last number, obviously, that was on my phone was my mum because yeah, I like speaking to her. Um, and she heard loads of screaming, and from what I can tell, she just hung up and went back to sleep. <laughs> anyway, we got, we, got, uh, we got picked up by uh, an ambulance, got pumped with loads of morphine to, to ease us with the pain, and then we were... In the hospital, I was on one bed, Tom was on another bed, adjacent to each other, and these lovely nurses were pouring water into our eyes to rinse it out because essentially pepper spray is just spray with hot chilli peppers in there. Mm. It's 100% organic. Uh, it's quite an artisan it tastes, product. It's lovely. Yeah. Just don't put it in your eyes. Uh, <laughs> that was the upshot of that. But morphine tastes nicer. And, um, yeah, it was it was okay when we got to the hospital. Yeah, right? it was nice, and the morphine kicked in, everything was better. But um, one of the side effects was Tom didn't realise that what he was saying to me about the nurse, his nurse, she could hear what he was saying. And what he was saying was very complimentary, but maybe overstepped the mark in certain, certain uh, ways. So uh, and I was t- trying to tell him to be quiet, but he was commenting on very, some of the characteristics. Yeah. Anyway, so... Nightingale. I also yes. remember we cycled home in our underpants. because all Yes, and then got stopped by the police on the way home. It was yeah. a great time. Nearly done for exposure at the same time. <laughs> The evening started with exposure in a bush and ended with exposure on a bike. What a lovely, lo- lovely anecdote. And so yes. carefully linked to Lagunitas, Ben. Yes. How, how clever are so, you? So uh, back, to, back to Lagunitas. So Lagunitas is a brewery on the West Coast, which really, really epitomizes what was going on on the West Coast in the 90s. Um, it was really kind of left field culture. Um, by the end of 1993, um, Tony McGee had set up his own microbrewery. It's very basic, even though he's riddled with debt. He was chasing his tail. Cash flow was a nightmare. The tax man was all over him like a rash. But he somehow made it work, and he cobbled together a business made up pretty much of weirdos, misfits, caners, hippies, Frank Zappa freaks. They're all into the Grateful Dead. And it is real. It's like dazed and confused. It genuinely is a real sort of counterculture out there. Um, and their, their first beer was, the major beer was Lagunitas IPA, 1996, believe it or not. It was one of the hoppiest beers that anyone had ever tasted. And now it's sort of middle of the road in terms of its hoppiness. And he chose to brew an IPA because in no- Northern California, down the road in Sierra Nevada brewery, they were brewing something called Sierra Nevada Pale Ale, another iconic cornerstone of the craft beer movement so he didn't want to step on their toes he so he put ipa massive letters on his bottle 6.2 percent it's a classic american style ipa and it's the biggest uh selling craft ipa in the states and the bottle labels are brilliant instead of writing about the molten finest hops and all that bollocks on their labels 
they're brilliant streams of consciousness, a bit like the book, that make you really want to try the beer. And there's none of that sort of painful, cringy wackiness you get on like a bottle of Brewdog or something like that. It's a real deal. Mm-hmm. Brewdog um, did what we should have done after that book. They, they set up a yeah, the but they, doing. yeah, but they haven't made much. I mean, what have they done? They've not made much money, have they? Who are they really? Yeah, I mean, they're just, uh, I'm sure they'll, they'll regret the decision. Out. Yeah, they'll peter out. I wish I could set up a brewery, mate. Oh, Christ. <laughs> um, uh, but another good story. Uh, in 2005, uh, you'll be the judge of this, actually. Uh, during the St. Paddy's Day party for the brewery, there was a they were they they, used, they threw these amazing parties, and they used to be often a lot of people. Uh, how can I put it? Listening to reggae in inverted commas uh, within the grounds, and uh, California State Police. Uh, sent loads of undercover officers who apparently had been uh, casing the joint for uh, quite literally um, for months. And they'd been trying to buy weed off the employees who much to the frustration of the the police just, just gave them some, didn't even send them to no, yeah, go, go for it. Um, and they basically someone brought out a joint, the marketing man, the marketing director brought a massive joint. And then he got wrestled to the ground by undercover uh, coppers uh, and they shut down the brewery uh, for quite a while because uh, and they charged them with running a disorderly house. Um, so they're just a real deal. But Lagunitas then released a beer called Undercover Investigation Shutdown Ale. It's <laughs> brilliant, it's a happy, it's a happy yeah. title, but it definitely yeah. a nice message. Fair yeah, play yeah. So they, they're the real deal. And we went over there in um, we went back ten years after we first went there, and when we researched our book in two thousand. 17 or 18? I can't yeah, remember. Yeah, last um, year, the year before. It was amazing. Uh, Another great trip. And we brewed yeah. a beer with them, didn't we? We brewed a, we brewed a beer called, called Barry White, Berry White, which Berry was White. A, a strawberry and cream beer, um, which was served all over bars in London. Um, and they picked us up in a van. Uh, in the van, there was a uh, cooler full of beer. And then they gave us loads of what can only be described as uh, special chocolates, special sweeties, special <laughs> sweeties made with herbs from the surrounding environment. Yeah, the grass um, is greener in yeah. California for sure. Um, we were, and I don't, uh, we don't do drugs. Drugs are for mugs, but it's legal over there, and mm. uh, it would have been rude to say no. Um, we had an absolutely brilliant time. We spent the day retracing the steps of Tony's journey, and it was quite a journey, Tom. Uh, he took. A, he took us to the first bars that stopped Lagunitas, which are wicked little dive bars. We shot some pool. I spoke to people actually in cowboy hats. And then, stoned off our nuts, we played shuffleboard, <laughs> which is absolutely brilliant. Shuffleboard is one of the great bar games of all yes, time. It's fantastic. Look up shuffleboard. It's like curling uh, mixed with pool. Mm. Um, and it was brilliant. And it's even better when you're uh, giggling buffoons and uh, yeah. one of the best nights i've ever had in my life yeah um, we laughed a lot we didn't know why we tried to work it out two weeks later we were still talking about it we were like, oh yes because we ate all that chocolate <laughs> yeah <laughs> who'd have thunk uh, it i know but they've they um lagunitas are, are sort of expanding into that area obviously um uh cannabis is is legal there in that part of the world now and tony mcgee now is very much a spokesperson for that whole scene and saying it's going to be bigger than craft beer Mm. It's quite incredible what, what they think is going to happen. But they've been quite aggressive in exploring these new areas. They've got hop-infused sparkling drink with THC, which is the principal psychoactive chemical in cannabis. 
Um, and I've also unveiled a hop tonic. This doesn't have any gear in it. It's just a hop tonic that's popular mixer for, for bartenders. And they've got a triple IPA, which they dedicate to this group of 1970s high school, high school students in California who used to meet at 20 past four every day to go and look for these, this special garden, which apparently had a, a stash of potent plants. And, and they, met, they meet at 4.20 every day by the statue outside school. And so the 20th of April is now known as the International Day of, sort of Counterculture and Cannabis Consumption. And they, every year they bring out Waldo, Waldo's Ale, which right. is dedicated to them. And that's real dank cannabis tasting beer. So, um, good guys. They're good great, great guys. They're genuine. You go over there now. They're, they're, they've um, Tony sold the company in its entirety uh, two years ago to Heineken, uh, which was a bit controversial at the time. Um, but he wrote a very good piece of justifying his decision. Um, and if you go there now, as we did after the sale, that doesn't seem to have changed much no, at all. It hasn't changed at all. I think that's one of the misconceptions about uh, the beer world, isn't it? That if you sell, that you, 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 everything's lost. The culture's lost. It doesn't have to be. In this case, it certainly hasn't been. And uh, it's just about getting great beer to more people, really, for them, wasn't it? So um, they've done a brilliant job. And, and I think it's important to say with this beer we're tasting today, uh, if anyone's got any worries about uh, these big American hoppy bitter beers, it's really not, is it? It's a very light beer, very easy drinking. It is a, uh, a nice summer beer. Um, that well, it's just proves that they can brew with nuance and they can yeah. brew with, with yeah. subtlety. They're not just whacking loads of hops in there, which is a lot of the American brewers historically have done. And it's uh, it's got a lot of flavour. And and just and it, just to go back to the whole craft beer argument, Tony McGee, to finish, he had a very good quote about whether you can tell whether something's craft or not. And he said, there's craft and there's crafty. It's like pornography. You know it when you see it. I don't. I don't watch pornography, so I don't no, know. No, no, I don't know. Um, don't brilliant. Thank you, Ben. That is uh, that is a lovely beer. Yeah, um, that's that bit. Are, are fantastic. Uh, should, we, should we move on to what I'm tasting? Should we try? Yeah, some- yeah, yeah. I'm ready. Yeah. Oh, okay, we're going to have some rum. Uh, we're going to have yum. Diplomatico Reserva Exclusiva, which is a love- luxury sipping rum. So if you've uh, been good listeners and you've got yours. Uh, now is time to pour some in the glass. Let it let it sit there uh, for a little while while we talk about Venezuela. Um, let it open up. Uh, have a smell if you like. It's a gorgeous smell. Um, and talking about misconceptions, one of the misconceptions about rum is that it only comes from the Caribbean. Uh, actually, by law, it can be made anywhere in the world. There's no geographic restrictions on on rum production, but it's made from fermented sugar juice, like the sugar cane honey or refined sugar molasses. So as you'd expect, most of the biggest rum producers are from countries where you can grow sugar, so tropical conditions where it's uh, the right climate for sugar growth. So that's why we tend to associate rum with the Caribbean, but it can be made right across the world, but places like Venezuela, uh, which is where we are right now. Well, we're not, we're in lockdown, but uh, this rum, Diplomatico, comes from Venezuela. And um, the first thing to say about Venezuela is that it's beautiful. It tends to to hit our headlines for the wrong reasons. People think it's a very dangerous country. It can be dangerous in parts, um, and, and it's had a horrific couple of decades with economic ruin. But it is an incredible country. It needs more love. And I've been lucky enough to visit, so today I wanted to celebrate with this Diplomatico Venezuelan rum. Um, and as you'll notice, if you put it into the glass, it's 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 a dark rum. This is not a white rum that you would mix with Coca-Cola. It's a luxury uh, aged rum. 
Um, and it's a beautiful rum, like the people of Venezuela, uh, because Venezuela, did you know, listeners and Ben, mm-hmm. um, that it's actually the number one for uh, more Miss World winners than any other country? Really? Yeah. It's actually joint top with India, I should say, but it is top. Uh, so that, and, and in third position, I found this quite interesting. Who do you think's in third? Um, uh, well, just from personal preference, I would say um, Brazil, Brazil. Brazil, okay. Yeah. And listeners, who do you think's third? <laughs> I hear none of you ask as we delve into this 1970s retro uh, inappropriate competition about looking at women's beauty. Uh, it was the UK, though, which I thought was... Shut the front door. No way. Yeah. Well, I'm not surprised. I'm married to a, a British woman and she's beautiful, so... Uh, would you like to say anything about your wife? Uh, well, she's she's half Polish. So where, oh, okay. the, where do you know where Poland finished? Uh, no, I don't. But uh, they would have been Some high fourth. 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 Yeah, okay. Third. No, no, no. Right I'm third. just saying. Maybe I think that I think the Brit- British women probably won the uh, bit about where they have to talk about working in like dolphin orphanages and wanting yeah. world peace. And that's where they got the points. Yeah, the clever points. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I went to Venezuela on a drinks trip, uh, but I was also there. I was there to write about rum, but also uh, I was invited to the Santa Teresa distillery, a different distillery in Venezuela, but they have something called the Alcatraz project there. And it was, it was set up by the distillery after the then socialist president, Hugo Chavez. He got a bit uh, leery with the Venezuelans, uh, the private companies, and he encouraged the people to claim back privately owned land for the state. So a lot of people were convinced to do a bit of a land grab. Um, and even though some of these country companies, like like rum distilleries, were actually generating jobs and income, uh, they were they were urged to take the land back from these companies. So one morning, the chaps at the Santa Teresa distillery they woke up in their gym jams to find a a lot of people on the doorstep with pitchforks saying that they wanted their their land. And uh, the owners explained that it didn't really solve any problems for the for these people because although they could take the land, they didn't know what to do with it. So instead, the distillery owners offered to build houses on the estate and create jobs, which was uh, an incredible thing to do. So they set up a tourism project and gave these people jobs and gave them places to live, which was brilliant. Uh, and then they set up Project Alcatraz, which was back in 2003. And this was some slightly bravey shit because it saw them try and reach out to the violent youngsters in the favelas of Caracas. And if you do think uh, Venezuela is a, a dangerous place, it's probably because you've heard the stories about Caracas and the gangs and the, the favelas there. And uh, if anyone's been to a favela, they'll know they're, they're quite challenging places to live i was lucky to go to one in rio uh, and it was safe there you were allowed to go in there but you can't really do that in caracas you don't go on a little tourist jaunt into the favelas there they are are properly tasty and the gangs there really do run the show so but the prison is tastier than brentford it's tastier than brentford and the youths there are uh they're not packing mace. They're packing a different a different kind of heat. <laughs> it's not heat that just makes your eyes sore uh, and goes nicely on your chilly. Uh, they can't salad. nurses can't soothe the wounds with water. Only. There are no nurses, mate. I tell you, there are no <laughs> nurses. Uh, and if there are, they're probably carrying guns. It's dangerous. It's a pretty dangerous place. Uh, but the prison system's worse. Um, there, there's no control in the prisons. They're o- overcrowded. And uh, so if you if you get arrested and put into the prisons, you've got uh, even less chance of making it out alive. So what these distillery owners did, they went into the favelas. And these guys were quite quite uh, business types. They went in with their laptops and, uh, and confronted some of, the, some of the youths and encouraged them to come out of the favelas 
developers and come and work at the distillery. So he created a whole program for them. It's incredible um, opportunities they created for people with, with real social problems. And while I was there, I got to interview a couple of these chaps. So it was, a, it was amazing to see uh, some 20-year-old lads who'd been taken out at the age of 14 or 15 and really had their lives turned around. And uh, one of them was really chatty, uh, the two guys I interviewed. The other one was less chatty. Uh, and I pressed him a bit because I was quite a, quite an eager journalist in those days. Oh, I'm going to get a story. What's your story? Why are you being so tight-lipped? Yeah, yeah, well, come answer my how question. How have you been naughty? Yeah. What have, you done? what have you done? I've come from Hertfordshire all the way to here. What have you done? And um, yeah, later found out the translator told me when he was 14, he was the most feared assassin in Caracas. Uh, that's that's Caracas, like the whole place. <laughs> it was Caracas. Uh, and uh, yeah, I shit myself after I heard that. I didn't impress him so much, gave him a bit of space. <laughs> what did they, um, do you know what jobs they had? Because if they were like well, salesmen. One, one of them was a bodyguard. So, oh, okay, uh, that's good. Yeah, but they should have got them as salesmen. Because you imagine if you're a bar in, Ven- in Caracas, and this guy walks in and says, "Do you want to buy some rum off me?" You're not going to go, "No, you're right, mate." You're going yeah. to buy everything he's got. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> I, I would employ them as bodyguards if I lived in Caracas. If I was uh, if I was trying to flog my rum in East London, yes, salesman. I suppose. Yeah. And he, had t- he probably he he fit into East London. Didn't he have a tattoo on his face? <laughs> Yeah, and a top knot, and he yeah. was going around on some sort of ancient school. Yeah, <laughs> what, a, what a lad. Uh, anyway, no, it, it was an amazing thing. It was quite life affirming. So, there, I mean, we, I, I felt like I was doing something really in the way of journalism. So we can we can do our tastings and we can do our shows and we can dance around in our underpants and make jokes about horses and knobs, but we can also be social warriors. Yeah, uh, you're like a KAD of drinks, massively. So I, I'm very proud to. You're the Ross Kemp of drinks. <laughs> Grant Mitchell. Grant Mitchell. Yeah. Um, anyway, while I was there, I visited beautiful national parks. I got ex- obviously the sugar plantations, but beaches, mountains, rainforest, desert plains. They've got all the all the landscapes. Uh, <laughs> the whole lot. Yeah, it's in the top ten for biodiversity in the world, uh, Venezuela. So it's a properly epic country. Great food. You'd love the food there. Uh, they do these uh, arepas. Uh, which they serve uh, throughout the day, full of all different kinds of food, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You can have them for snacks. Just eat all day. Uh, they're, they're like pasties, and they're um, they're made of corn, like a bit like a pancake, but they wrap them and then they steam them in um, banana leaves. Honestly, they are now properly nice. They give Cornish pasties a run for their money, I'll tell you. Um, from Devon, as we know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so we were... We were eating these and seeing all these amazing landscapes of Venezuela while drinking rum, which brings us back to the rum neatly, that's neatly in your glass. So um, so this is Diplomatico Reserva Exclusiva. So they made it a different distillery, uh, the Distillerias Unidas, uh, which is found at the foot of the Andes. No, uh, don't do the joke. But it's the foot of the Andes. I mean... <laughs> End of the... No. All right, I won't, I won't stoop Cut to the foot of that joke. Um, but uh, but it's a stunning setting. They're, they're set in the Terrapaima National Park. Um, and oh, honestly, it's gorgeous there. And, and you've got the, the mountains as a backdrop. And they really look after their surrounding environment. So they've scored massively high on sustainability. <coughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> Don't spill it. It's, it's luxury gear. Um, they've also earned 
global critical acclaim for their rum. Uh, the main man on production there at the distillery is a guy called Tito Cordero, and he's a bit of Tito a, Cordero. Tito Cordero. He's a legend in the world of rum, though, and he works with a great setup. They've got loads of different stills there. They've got copper pot stills and a batch kettle still and a column stills as well. So they can make um, rum from molasses, which is the refined sugar, but also fermented sugar cane juice, sugar honey. And so without getting too technical, this all means the distilling team there has scoped to experiment with different rum styles. So you can have a white rum in the Diplomatico range, which is really great, clean, nice for a daiquiri or a mixed drink, all the way up to Diplomatico Ambassador, which is the sort of luxury end of things that will set you back a couple of hundred quid. So you can work your way through the entire range and, uh, and they make them all with expertise. The, the rum we are drinking tonight is the Reserva Exclusiva. And in this rum, Tito uses two styles of rum, a lighter rum, around 20% of a lighter rum and 80% of heavier rums. And the oldest rum in the bottle is 12 years old. So it's had a long spell wow. of maturation in barrels. Yeah. And, and, and aging in, in the tropical conditions like Venezuela is interesting because it, the, the, they say the spirit ages quicker than it would in a colder climate. So a whiskey distillery up in, uh, in Scotland. Um, and, and it can really uh, anywhere up to about three times as, as quicker. So a 12-year-old might be the equivalent of a three times 12. That's all maths I can do. Yeah. Um, so, and, it, and because of the heat, it, it dips into the pores of the wooden barrels. A because lot it expands and contracts more. Yeah, exactly. And it takes on a lot of the character of the wood. So you'll notice the colour of it. It's very dark. That's all come from the wood. It goes into the barrel completely transparent, and then it picks that colour up over time. It takes on some of the aromas. So if you've got the rum in front of you now, listeners, have a smell of it. Mm. And you should be able to get a very distinct vanilla aroma. This has been uh, rested in... Uh, American oak barrels used previously by the bourbon industry. And in the bourbon industry, they use their barrels, they put the whiskey into brand new barrels, part of the regulations. And then once they're finished with that barrel, it's still good. It's still got a lot to give the spirit. So they sell them to other distilleries around the world. Um, so the whiskey, the Scotch whiskey, the Irish whiskey, even the Japanese whiskey industries, they all buy up these barrels. As to the rum industry, it's a big buyer of these barrels. And it, and it gives that very distinctive uh, vanilla note. And when you combine that with the sugar that's gone into this, uh, you start to appreciate why it's going to be quite sweet and rich. Um, if you have a little taste of it now, but um, but just take a very small sip. I, uh, do you know what I think initially I get, Tom? What do you get? Uh, creme brulee. Creme brulee. Which is, um, which is French for pudding. <laughs> You are the Frenchman of the pod, so I'll take your word for that. Uh, but you do get you do get that. That's a really caramelly flavour. Uh, first, it might be a bit spicy for some people. It is a neat spirit. It's 40% ABV, so we are drinking it neat. It might, that first sip might just prepare your palate, so don't be put off by that if you find it a bit assertive. Do go back because this is really one of the richer, sweeter uh, spirits we're going to taste on the podcast. The second time you go around to it, you start to appreciate some of the wider flavours in there. And you get that creme brulee, but you get uh, you get and you get caramels. You get some of the vanilla coming through. You might get a slightly uh, mocha sort of coffee note on mm. it. Some people get that. I get a light, a slight hint of um, of orange in there. And then as it gets to the middle of the palate, it starts to taste, and it's no exaggeration. This diplomatico starts to taste like chocolate, and that is really where it punches. It's like oh my goodness, this is a, like a chocolatey rum. And with that orange, I get a bit of Terry's chocolate orange. Um, yeah. I don't imagine they'll be putting on their marketing spiel anytime soon. But you know, it is a great chocolate. Well, one, one of the one of the worst, the most awful things about Venezuelan life is that I don't think they know anything about chocolate orange. Well, so, so deprived is, is their economy that they're yet to uh, 
marvelling the delights of Terry's Chocolate Orange. We well, start I think, given your experience in the Vivera yeah. Club and your contacts, I think, you go in the, I think you should go in there as a Terry's Chocolate Orange salesman with a That's laptop it. and a, yeah. your, one of your Primark suits and see how you get on. <laughs> One of my Primark suits. Wow, that's pretty cool, mate, considering how many you've got. Uh, that's a show reference, folks. We wear Primark suits, not uh, – I'm, I'm obviously oh, yeah. cool. Uh, so um, – but actually, that chocolate note is one of the reasons we're really on board with this rum. Uh, we've used Diplomatico Reserva Exclusiva in our shows. If you're listening as a fan of our shows, you might have tasted it, and we will continue to do that because it really does change perceptions of what – rum can be what it is um because people tend to think of it as something that they just put a mixer in just drown it in coke um, don't do drugs i do drugs drugs for mugs uh, but they um this is a evidence you can sip this neat it is something just to put maybe a piece of ice in there uh, and, and enjoy it neat um, and it's a lovely bottle as well it's something to add to your drinks cabinet just purely from, a, from an aesthetic. It's got a picture on the front of this guy called uh, Don Juan Chonieto Melendez. And uh, he was a famous local resident to the distillery. And he was famous because he had a massive rum collection and he would travel all around the world, which is why the, the label's quite like a, a postage stamp. He was a big traveller and he hosted these huge social gatherings in his mansion and got loads of people there drinking rum. So um, I, I thought it was quite a nice link to our current scenario. Yeah travel anywhere or have big social gatherings um, <laughs> it would be nice to be don juancho yeah right. um if he was alive now he'd be he'd be screwed he would um and it's important to, to just dwell on that the sugar thing there might be some listeners who who like a drink but have shunned sugar in their lives uh we just i i, I just say that particularly at the moment um if you are complaining about sugar you know chill out uh, life is short uh, let a little sugar in because even you know, shorter if you eat too much sugar well if you eat too much ben but it's all part of balance isn't it life is, it is life is a balance and um and you can eat a cake if you go for a run and you can have some fruit and you can have a small glass of rum and yeah. you can drink water you can do another run you can eat some chocolate eat well, some the beauty of this vegetables, uh, the you know, rum is it has got is sweet it's got a bit of sugar in it but that gives you the energy to go for a run. Without it, you just probably couldn't be bothered. Yeah. Well, there you go. So when you come back, you just eat, eat some peas. I mean, yeah. don't, don't shit your pants. Just uh, no, this no, is do that regardless of lockdown. Yeah. If this is proof of anything, this lockdown, it's that uh, life's short and we, uh, we are wasting it. If well, we're funny so, you talk about length, shortness of, of life and uh, or the longevity of life because my, my nan – Yes, uh, you know my nan. She I do. is a wonderful. I mean, she is a wonderful woman, and she loves this rum. She and, does. And weirdly, every time we introduced it to her ages ago, we did a tasting with her because she can't really come, doesn't want to come to our shows because there's too much swearing and stuff. So we we did a tasting. Tom and I went around there a few years ago. Did a tasting of this Diplomatico with with her, and then she went out and bought it. And every time I go around now with a family. She gets out the rum, uh, she gets these lovely glasses, the decanters out, and she pours it after after Sunday roast, and she goes through a tasting with me and everyone. Yeah, and I've she and yeah, and she because she's got a much more mature palate, she gets totally different things to what, what we get. So, listeners, if you've got any rum diplomatica reserva exclusiva left in your glass, and come on this journey with with, with, with me and, and my nan. So what she does, she gets her nose right into the glass and she says, same every time, she says, 
I'm getting bready notes. I'm getting sultanas. I'm getting almonds. And on a finish, I'll get a tiny hint of coconut. That's because Ben's nan is a Peshwari nan. Applause for applause. There we go, ladies and gentlemen. More jokes like that can be heard in our shows. Please come. Uh, they are brilliant. Uh, your nan also uh, likes she's the dead. story. Of, she's, she's dead. dead. She did like the stories about the turtles because one of the other things to say about uh, Venezuela is Los Roques, the beautiful national park off or beaches off um, islands, 300 islands, in fact, off, mm-hmm. off the coast of uh, Caracas, uh, where they're doing a lot to protect turtles in a turtle sanctuary. And I, I felt that was a nice additional note for Venezuela, especially at the time where nature is trying to claim back some of the world as we go through this this lockdown. And I, I'm, I'm a big believer in... in um, in uh, in nature, I'm not trying to give it the hard shell, Ben. But, no. You know, oh Christ! <laughs> oh. Well, it's funny you mention that. Just because before lockdown kicked in, I went into Waterstones. I thought I'd need some books for the uh, lockdown period, and um, and I asked the woman behind the desk. I said, uh, "Have you got that book about turtles?" And she said, "Hardback." And I was like, "Yeah," and they've got little heads. Very good. Very good. Um, I was in a bar while I was in uh, in Los Roques, and a giraffe walked in. Really? And he asked for a diplomatic owner of flute. The bartender said, uh, I haven't got a flute. Uh, highball's okay. He said, oh, they're a bit sweaty, actually. And then, right, a horse comes in, and a bartender says, why the long face? And he says, uh, it's because I've got corona. And that's a corona beer. It's a bit of a throwback to last week. Yeah, that's a, sort of um, yeah. And then there's two moles burrowed in while I was sat there, one after the other, one behind the other. And the first one comes up, he says, I can smell Diplomatico. And, and the second one comes in and behind him, he just says, I just smell molasses. Because it's mole asses. Oh, I preferred you when you were miserable and oh. I really did. More of that next week then. Uh, but that's probably a good time to wrap it up, I suppose, Ben. Yeah, really uh, hope you've enjoyed that Diplomatico. It's um, Diplomatico Reserva Exclusiva. We, if you didn't get it before the show, get it after. It costs £41.95 on the whiskeyexchange.com. If you buy it there, you get a nice engraving on it, so that's a nice gift. And we use the whiskeyexchange.com because they're an online retailer. They deliver it to your door, and we use them, and they're reliable. So uh, we'd suggest that you, you go to them um, for that and, indeed, for next week's show because next week, Ben, I'm going to be tasting something Dutch. I'm going to the famous Nolet distillery in Skidam and tasting Kettle One Botanicals. Which oh, is nice. a, yeah, it's a lower ABV spirit. It's a luxury vodka base, and they charge you with loads of fresh botanicals. There are three different variants, so go on to the whiskeyexchange.com and you'll find them for £23.95 on there. You can choose the variant you think sounds nicest. I'll work through all three of them. So if you want three, buy three. If you want just want one, I'll taste that. Um, and what are you going to be tasting, Ben? I'm going to be just down the road. We're going to Belgium. We're going to go and taste a classic, iconic beer called Duvel, D-U-V-E-L, um, which beer fans will know very well. But uh, it's a, it's just a wonderful beer that is right for rediscovery. And that's you can get that from Asda, asda.com. Um, uh, and I think that's two pounds, two pounds a bottle, which is, uh, again, what the French call Bourgeois. Uh, but also, whilst you're there, you can buy the Lagunitas Daytime Session IPA, £1.70 uh, for a bottle. And you can also buy their classic IPA as well, the India Pale Ale, for two quid. And they're doing a deal of four beers for six quid. So get two IPAs, two Daytime Session IPAs, and you are laughing. 
Yeah, so. nice one. Well, that that that's something to look forward to. Get your duvel and get your kettle one botanicals in before next week's show, and we can taste them. If you enjoyed the show, please do leave some nice reviews on the podcast where it is available. Uh, it really does help us. Follow us on social at Thinking Drinks on Twitter and Thinking Drinkers on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, do offer some improvements on those jokes if you've got any animal drink related jokes or any jokes at all. Really, uh, uh, first prize for the best joke is it will make it into our show uh, so please please give us jokes clearly we yeah. need them um but uh, but yeah and, and tell us if you bought them take pictures of yourselves drinking the drinks uh, so that we know it's working it really does buoy our spirits doesn't it ben it makes us it certainly it does uh, and if you if everyone listening tells 10 people about this podcast then that will mean that at least one of those people may listen. So please yes. do that. That would be it's, wonderful. It's almost um, as effective as a virus, isn't it? It is, it is. Don't spread the virus. Spread the word of Around the World and 80 Drinks. And before we go, just one last – a few people have asked. They'd really like the theme tune to this podcast. Um, that was uh, written and produced by a lovely man called Barnaby Green. Um, he, he's great at designing soundtracks and or any anything soundy or musical. And he is on Instagram at Barney Musician, B A R N E Y M U S I C I A N. I'll put it at the below below the podcast details. But get in touch with him, and he can do some music for you. If he's a very talented man, and we love our theme tune. Bond, so thank you very much for that. Um, so that's it. That's the end of this podcast. Join us next week when we'll be doing more traveling and tasting. Thank you for listening. I'll speak then. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.